0: For more information, visit multrimobile.com.
1: Alright, welcome back to another episode of the Woodsman Podcast. Pennsylvania Woodsman, thanks for tuning in, guys. Um, I'm glad that we're finally getting some warm weather, and you know, daylight savings makes it feel like the days are getting longer, um, even though it's been a natural progression of the days getting longer. I like the fact that I can come home in the evening and still do some stuff outside. I was out this evening finally shooting my bow, finally had some time in this beautiful weather, just couldn't resist. Just felt good to fling some arrows, just something about drawing your bow back and just having a graceful release and watching it hit re-aim, you know, hadn't shot for for weeks now, and uh, it was still just like on autopilot. It felt great, and sometimes I just can't help but re- you know, kick myself and think like, you know, <clears throat> why can't it just be that easy when you're in the Deer Woods? Tonight I was uh, I was shooting at my 3D target. I had the 3D target. It's at my 30 yard point. And uh, when I went to pull arrows, I thought, you know what? I never shot my thirty-yard pin at fifteen yards. Which, um, if you uh, heard back in my episode this past fall, my big goof up on my uh, my one opportunity at a mature buck last year. Um, the uh, the deer came into fifteen yards, and with my single pin sight for the first time in my life, I uh, I was practicing at 30 yards before we left to go hunting and for whatever reason when I was done I never returned my pin to 20 and that's where I always have my pin you know my logic is um you know 25 yards and in I should be able to just pick my bow up draw back and shoot and if I need to shoot farther than 25 yards then I need enough time to make sure I know the range make sure the deer is in a position where I can have enough time to you know, go through my shot sequence process that I always do and uh, draw back and execute a good shot, whether it's 30, 40, 50 yards. Um, <clears throat> and part of my shot sequence is making sure I have my uh, my dial positioned appropriately. And I've never had that problem long range, and I've really never had it short range. I just, for whatever reason that day, I guess I was just in a hurry and excited to go hunting, never moved it back so I uh, thought I'm going to shoot my 3D target tonight doing that. So I had my pin on 20 yards, and I aimed for the 12 ring of the 3D target, and I drilled it. I I hit it at 12 o'clock, which I figured I'd hit it a little bit high, but I hit it right at 12 o'clock. Then I moved my pin to 30 yards, knocked another arrow, and, you know, of course it was high, but it hit in the identical location of where, my arrow hit that buck and the reason i know that is because it was, was for for twofold number one uh, the neighbor killed that deer the next day and uh, <clears throat> i had a family that actually helped the neighbor get that deer out and they saw where the arrow hit and showed me but uh we also had a trail camera picture of that deer at 12 o'clock at night and uh you know it's just one of those things it's happening it's i'm not i'm not saying this because i'm like just lingering in it and just sitting in myself while I'm 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 doing that and thinking about my shot sequence and thinking how can I be better prepared next year Um, both mentally physically and everything and uh, you know with that um, you know I was I was really trying to figure out you know I have this moral dilemma of how I'm going to focus my time in deer season you know i talk about how we manage how i try to manage my time for hunting you know when i want to pick my days and stuff but you know as time goes on as my career gets busier and as my family continues to grow it's getting harder and harder for me to do that and i'm coming to the realization that i need to figure out how to hunt the deer when i'm able to hunt them you know last year i had some cruddy weather times i had some uh hot days, days where the wind was not conducive to hunt the stands I wanted. <clears throat> and I realized when I was going through that, I didn't have the game the the fallback plans that I really wanted to in those situations. And, you know, my my logic was, you know, it's okay, I'll be patient. Um I'll I'll wait for another day. And I did that and in all reality I, I should have connected. I just messed up, but I hunted all the way through late season and the the clock ran out. I mean I hunted hard and you know hindsight's always twenty twenty. so looking at this year I'm trying to figure out how can I manage my time appropriately um, throughout the fall between uh, work between family um, children childcare. that's a big one um, you know not making sure that I, I use my time efficiently and I, I can enjoy what I want <clears throat> enjoy what I want to do but I also don't burn my family out I've just been really struggling in how I'm going to figure out that balance, and specifically the balance of where I'm going to go, where I'm going to put my most time in. I mean, right off the bat, I'm going to say I'm going to put my most time and energy into the the piece of private land that uh, we talk about here on this channel and working and and tinkering with. You know, that's my my best spot by far. And it's also a great camaraderie location. Um, You know, I'm, I'm hunting with my two best friends there. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a big part of it too, but there's also this draw for me to shoot, um, a buck with my bow in some of the public land, whether it's the stuff kind of surrounding me and some of the deer I've picked up on cameras, um, you know, my, in my, you know, short driving distance from my home here, my, my big one is really, um, back there up at, up at, uh, up at my cabin, about two hours away from me. Um, I've just been, going through this, this pro and this mind battle of how am I going to prepare differently this year? What am I going to do differently with my cameras and what strategies am I going to use differently to, to try to get on a deer if, and when I do hunt there. Um, but I'm coming back to that whole time dilemma. You know, if I'm going to manage my time for, uh, if I'm going to manage my time and focus on one spot, like, uh, like the, the private land piece, will I have enough time to devote to uh, also having those good backup spots on public land? You know, there's, there's something to be said when you've got multiple spots, that's a good, that's a good thing to have. But at the same time, I feel like if I just do a little bit at all my spots, I don't feel like I'm going to be honed in and and mentally prepared and ready to go um, on any spot. I don't know if that makes sense the way I'm wording it or not, but it's definitely a mental struggle. Maybe it's just the time of year and the the schedule I have. I got a lot of anxiety. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm so excited. You know, my, my wife just had her uh, doctor's visit here and it's like any day now we're going to get to meet, uh, meet our new son. And I'm really excited about that. Um, mm-hmm. just, uh, it's just been a crazy, crazy time here. And, uh, you know, it, all the stuff that I'm rambling on about right now, like when you go through your day to day, you know, how do you, how do you balance that work and play time? How do you guys balance that, uh, that mental just fix it? You know, if you're like me, you're just born to hunt and forced to work is kind of how I feel some days. You know, it's just like the first thing that comes into my head sometimes in the morning when I wake up and it's the last thing in my mind before I go to bed. And, uh, you know, that's, that all sounds like a big, big tough, you know, big tough dude, but, or, you know, just, just trying to talk your ego out. But in all reality, it's not the most important thing in the world. You know, this stuff we talk about on this channel, on all our outdoor hobbies, I mean, they're very important. Don't get me wrong, but it's not the most important thing. Um, how do you guys balance it? How do you guys uh, take take uh, take the time to prepare, but also not burn family out and also put family first? Um, I'd be I would love to hear from from you guys. Hit, hit us up on Facebook. Um, hit us up on Instagram. Um, and uh, I think that's something that would be worth a podcast. But uh, in my uh, my rambling here, you know, we're getting into that time with warmer weather. And uh, with that warmer weather, there's usually a couple things people are thinking about. Um, for me, I'll start to think about spring gobblers here before we know it. I saw some birds here strutting in a field the other day. And, of course, it got the blood flowing a little bit. But another thing a lot of guys are thinking about is uh, trout fishing. And uh, as, as we approach that, um, you know, that's that's as close to a, a holiday in our state as anything. But uh, I had the privilege of talking this past week with uh, John Kolb of Suffering Outdoors. And uh, John has his own YouTube channel. He's up in the uh, north central part of the state. And, uh, you know, I think I have a lot of similarities with John. He's an avid deer hunter. He He just loves those big woods up there. But you know, he uh, he has something that I just don't have the bug yet for, and I'm, I'm at the point now where I, f- I feel like I need to tag along with him and, and some of his buddies um, and, and learn the ropes of this fly fishing. Um, you know, there's something about uh, fly fishing, not just for, for stock stock stream trout, which there's nothing wrong with, but uh, John, John does a lot of videos, and you'll have to check his YouTube channel out on all the mountain stream trout fishing that he does as much as he possibly can but you know he's there's a there's a whole process and there's a a method to all those guys madness and and strategy of how they're successful catching these uh native brook brook trout um catching some brownies um and uh it's 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 when, when you watch it from the sidelines as a non-fisherman it's it's a little comical because you can, you can tell how passionate John is about it. And, uh, he'll, he'll pull these, uh, these native fish out that are very, very small. And, uh, you can just see the excitement and, you know, from the standpoint of, uh, somebody that's not a fisherman, you just think, how is that exciting? But, um, the, the locations he's going and the experiences, I mean, it's as much of an adventure as it is to go out and, you know, do a camping trip and a hunting situation it's all what you make of it. And, uh, John kind of shares a little bit about his, uh, his experiences in, in filming his fishing trips. And then he starts talking a little bit about, you know, some of the areas he likes to go and that adventure aspect of it, um, uh, talks about some past, past trips and, you know, talks a little bit about that fly fishing strategy and fly fishing stories. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. I mean, it was an exciting, uh, exciting story, you know, group of stories he had for us. Um, shared uh, shared a lot of great information you know if you're if you're just getting into it um you know john has a lot of great information and I, i think just watching his videos you could pick up on a lot of stuff so i hope you really enjoy this week's episode and thanks for tuning in so on the phone with me today i have john cold from suffering outdoors john how are you tonight i'm doing good mitchell how are you i can't complain i am in the process of ramping up um, we're, we're in a process of transitioning my son from his first room to a second room, because the first room is closer to our bedroom for our new son. That's about to be born any day now. So we, we got like chaos going on in my house right now. <laughs> awesome. Well, congratulations on
2: the, uh, soon to be new arrival. That's awesome.
1: John, um, first off, if, if, Somebody listening doesn't know who you are and doesn't know about your channel. Just give me yourself a a brief introduction, where you're located in the state and, you know, how you got into doing what you're doing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I am the founder and owner of the Suffering Outdoors YouTube channel. I do hunting videos, fly fishing videos, uh, some camping stuff and, and everything in between outdoor related I, uh, North of Williamsport, actually work in the town of Williamsport in Lycoming County. So kind of North central PA and, um, love the outdoors. And that's, uh, kind of my escape and what I like to do on weekends and vacation and free
1: time. Good deal. So, uh, you kind of started off, you we were talking about this a little bit before you were, you started off just kind of filming your own hunts and, and getting the ball rolling. So, um, you know, I'm assuming that was your gateway into all things and suffering outdoors. So, how how was your hunting season this past year?
2: It it was successful in the sense that I had opportunities at some some good bucks. Um, unsuccessful in the sense that I missed my eyes, <laughs> but I uh, I was happy to. In, in both, were during archery, I had probably a 140 inch class deer on on my property that. I stalked on the ground and ended up missing. And then I missed uh, probably 120-inch class year on public ground. Um, Got both of those encounters on film, which was pretty neat. And then I also harvested a doe with a recurve. So have some venison in the freezer that we're going through pretty quickly. I have uh, four kids and they like to eat the meat. So um, that's a success in the sense that there's meat in the freezer and I had some opportunity at, at two different bucks that I should have capitalized on.
1: So well, I can sympathize with you there because I'm in the same boat for my hunting season this year. Um, but that's all it's all part of. I mean, I get, you know, I talk we talk about this a lot here, but I mean, I get wrapped up in trying to kill the biggest buck in the neighborhood so often. And I'll be the first to admit it. I miss, I miss so often like what it's all about when it comes to going out and enjoying creation. Sometimes, so sometimes I I think it's like we need that reality check to, you know, bring us down from some of the highs that we often get when we do have successful seasons in the sense of bringing harvest home. But hey, at least you're able to uh, bring some meat home. Was that your first kill with a recurve?
2: yeah it was uh only been using a recurve two seasons now and that is an exciting adventure to to get, get into it takes a lot of um different type of skill and more dedication to shooting so but but it's a lot of fun and there's the arrow goes a little you know quite a bit slower than a compound And it was just such a neat feeling to release the arrow and and watch it go in and hit your target and then, uh, harvest the deer. So that was really neat.
1: Without a doubt. Um, it's, it's a, definitely a new challenge and in the realm of, and I know some of the territory that you're hunting. So when you mix that into it, um, now you're holding, you know, putting a whole new dimension into it. Yeah, absolutely. So with, uh, with hunting season coming, gone, we're getting into March here. Do, uh, have you been suffering from cabin fever as bad as everybody else? Or do you have a couple of remedies for that throughout the season?
2: Yeah, good question. So it it's almost like a state of depression when flintlock season ends and you go into that deep, dark winter period when there's not uh, not a lot you can do. And, and we had quite a bit of snow and ice. So even the areas that I hunt, even if I wanted to go tread through the snow, um, the roads are about impassable because of ice and, and snow. Um, so doing a little bit of fly tying here uh, over the winter. Um, getting ready for stocking up on the fly boxes for upcoming trout season. And as the snow is melting, trying to get out and do a little bit of shed hunting.
1: Good deal. Have you been able to step foot and and find some sheds or has it just like just getting your feet wet with where you're at with weather and stuff?
2: Yeah, I went out well, twice now and I had a spot where I had uh, on public ground some uh, pretty good uh, intel that the deer were wintering there. And it was the first spot I wanted to hit kind of before other guys got there before me. So I, uh, I went last weekend and I brought three of my children and we picked up five sheds. Um, one was pretty decent, probably in the 120 inch range. Um, if it was on both sides and a, a decent spread, um, four on one side, no brow time. And then the others were year and a half old, uh, six to eight points but picked up five sheds on public ground, which is, which is a pretty good accomplishment. And I think uh, most of that success was just knowing that deer were using a food source on public ground in this area, and then just kind of gritting
1: it out and, and finding the sheds. Yeah, that is a big accomplishment, especially in the, the realm or uh, the, the neck of the woods that you're in kudos to you for adding your kids to it. Cause you know, that's, I mean, that's what bringing it, bringing the new generation into the outdoors is all about and i i know the level of um i don't know if stress is the word but it's definitely a different atmosphere when you bring younger kids into that because i'm sure you're used to just getting in the woods and rolling and it's a little different yeah i I will admit that i lost two of them for a
2: short period of time (laughs) (laughs) just don't let their mother know right no yeah she was she was aware um because And it's, it's funny when you walk with kids in in the woods or this area is relatively open. So I wasn't super concerned about anybody getting lost, but you're walking straight through an area and you go in a patch of pines and it's like, okay, everybody walk straight. And then my uh, youngest, who just turned six, he veered off to the right and started going the opposite direction. Um, so it took a few minutes to find him and corral him. And then my, my daughter did the same thing. She's, uh, eight years old. A little bit later, so uh, but we all made it out, and it was a good learning experience for them not to uh, to get separated from
1: the pack. <laughs> maybe maybe one of the mapping services that we're accustomed to using on our phones now for hunting, maybe they can add a feature where you can be like know where my kid is at all times yeah, while you're hunting. GPS tags on them. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw you posted a video um just the other week. Um, it was kind of like a culmination of a bunch of your fly fishing videos over the year. Can you tell me a little bit about that that video?
2: Yeah, so I um the thought behind that was there's there's a lot of creators I follow who do fly fishing content or even hunting content and with how busy life gets sometimes it's hard to follow all the videos they post. And so I wanted to take my kind of best fly fishing footage over the past two years and put it in a shorter, quick video, um, just the kind of the best videos from a certain trip condensed into one half minute, minute and a half section. And then I put all my various videos kind of compiled through the video. Um, well received, got quite a bit of views right away. Um, so that was neat, but the whole thought was just sorting out, and creating a more condensed video with, uh, my best
1: live fishing footage.
2: Uh,
1: yeah. And it was a really, really well done video, John. And I, I, I wouldn't mind. So like you, you started your channel, um, I'm assuming mostly with the focus of hunting. Now, did you just start to take on that, uh, Filming your fishing trips when you started suffering outdoors, or was that something you might take just like a, a GoPro in your head before and kind of evolved from there?
2: Yeah, when I the the first hunting videos that I did, I used just a GoPro. Then learned pretty quick that you uh, needed another camera to be able to zoom in on the animals and get a better uh, view of that. And then when I started going into fly fishing, I tried to mirror uh, people who, uh, create content that I liked. And I generally prefer when somebody is either a filming another fly fisher and you have that second point of view versus a GoPro being on a, a chest or, or a head. Um, so I wanted to recreate and I, I do carry around a camera and a tripod, which is part of the suffering outdoors. Um, it is extra work. Um, It is extra weight to carry around and adds a whole other level of frustration if the fish aren't biting or you're you're not having success. But I carry that extra camera around to to try to get better footage and create a better viewing experience uh, for the subscribers or or my viewers. Um, So it really started from the beginning using a tripod and setting the video camera up to film me as I fish.
1: Really interesting. I Before we go into a little bit more detail on the videoing with the fishing and maybe some of the upcoming fishing uh, plans that you might have, um, I, you brought up a good point. I, I think it's a good segue into talking about the name behind your channel because it's a little bit um, unordinary. It, it's definitely an original title and you, you kind of hinted at what you were getting at with that. So I would, I would love if you'd share with the viewers, um the the meaning behind that that name
2: yeah that's that's a great question and one i get often and uh generally am question when i post fly fishing videos because guys will say it doesn't look like you're doing any suffering there um but the concept is if you're willing to work a little harder and kind of disregard your comfort and suffer a little bit that you're going to have more success in the outdoors and that goes for either fishing or hunting if you're willing to to put a little bit more work in do a little bit more scouting walk a little further than the next guy and and same goes with fly fishing that you're going to have more success so the the concept is suffer a little bit and then you're going to have success more success in the outdoors
1: and on that note that kind of brings me back to discussing the the filming of fishing aspects so I've I've dabbled very very little in filming my own hunts and I know what hassle it is and that's why I've only ever gotten one buck on film and it was very very mm-hmm. poor, uh, very poor footage that I I wouldn't want to put my name on as as a channel or anything like that because it was <laughs> just for myself. Um, but when I when I watch your fishing channel videos, that that looks like it's an even like bigger thing to deal with like between the back and forth at the at the water and plus some of the places you're hiking in um tell me a little bit about your equipment setup and how you make those action shots work and and some of that setup because I notice you're kind of kneeling you're standing you're you're all over the place for some of these these fishing things it just looks extremely difficult
2: yeah and and it can be it, it takes practice and it takes um, a lot of editing after the fact. So normally what I do is I have a tripod, I have my video camera and I, I started with a Sony a 53, which is just a standard video camera um, cost probably around. You could get one to use for maybe $750, $800. Uh, when I bought it it was around a thousand dollars. I still use that for my hunting th- footage. Um, and then I got a Canon GH5, which is a mirrorless kind of like a DSLR, um, camera. And I set that up on a tripod for my fishing. It's a little better quality than my other camera. And what I do is I look at the hole. I try to determine where is a fish going to be laying. Where Can I stand? I frame it, flip my screen around so I can see walk in front of the camera, get in a position where I'm not hopefully blocking the hole or where the fish is. Hit record, start fishing, um, hopefully catch a fish, get some shots of the fish in the net or releasing the fish, and then stop the recording. Um, Then you you get enough shots and um, compile that into your footage. And then after the fact, go back to the computer, put it together, um, edit out the uh, slow parts, try to put together um, the footage I use use a lot of music in my my videos as well to try to create more of a cinematic type experience sure Um, but that's kind of from start to finish setting the camera up
1: hitting record and then editing it after the fact so that added complexity I mean it's it's added work to something that I know you enjoy but it's 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 a labor of love I'm sure um you know you brought up a good point you talked about when you approach a hole and uh, kind of assess that so let's talk a little bit about when you're you're fishing some of these mountain streams because um, you know, disclaimer for everybody, a lot of the videos that I'm watching seem to be mountain streams, whether they're class A, class B, or maybe they're not even uh, classified. I mean, talk a little bit about fishing for those natives. And you talked about approaching a hole and, and really assessing how fish are going to be laying. And like what's going through your mind when you're approaching a hole and you're, you're trying not to spook a hole out and, and capitalize?
2: Yeah, so the first thing that I'm looking for is water that and and we like to use the term looks fishy. Um, And and that comes through experience of fishing and catching fish. And you're looking for on those smaller mountain streams, usually deeper holes, or uh, cover is a big aspect. If you have a hole that's maybe a foot deep, and there's absolutely no cover, and you can see to the bottom of, of a slate rock that covers the entire hole, it's usually not a good hole to fish in, but if you're coming up to a hole and you see a down log and a little waterfall that goes into the hole and it looks deep and there's that that cover and it just looks and feels fishy, that's when you wanna slow down, set the camera up, approach the hole, and then um, you need to analyze and kind of think at that time, okay, where am I gonna cast first? because on these small mountain streams, a lot of times you may only have one or two casts without spooking the fish. So you want your first cast to kind of be the best cast. Um, So if, if it's a small little hole in that scenario, you have a log in the stream on the other side. I'll usually cast up closer to the waterfall where my fly hopefully doesn't make as much of a disturbance on the water. And then that fly, you let it drift down through, hopefully without any drag and your fly, is gonna float down naturally through that hole. And uh, some, either a brook trout or, or a wild brown trout is gonna come up and, and take your fly. So it's it's really trying to identify what water you think is gonna hold fish. And at the same time, depending on the conditions, trying to approach that hole to where you're not gonna spook any fish. And then getting a cast, accurately in the area that you think the fish are going to be without spooking them fish takes the fly set the hook net the fish let the fish go and move on to the next hole
1: yeah it's just that simple right yeah (laughs) you know looking at a lot of the the footage that i've seen with you it kind of looks like you're a lot in a lot of pictures you're kneeling and i figured that's either one of two reasons it's either a because you're tall and it frames well or or B, I was wondering, I've, I've heard other avid uh, native trout fishermen talk about, you know, and you talked about a little bit more of how you approach. I mean, are, do you feel a need in some cases you need to get as carried away as, you know, sneaking through brush and popping out at a hole and crawling? Like, how serious do you get when it comes to approaching a hole as to not spook it?
2: Yeah, that's, that's a really good question because... I had a, another guy at one point criticize another YouTube creator for doing that. And he's like, you don't need to do that. You just stand back 10 feet from the hole and cast and and you're better off than kneeling and and approaching. I said, yeah, that, that works great when you're fishing by yourself, but if you're trying to get it on camera um, you add that whole other dimension. So you need, if you want yourself to be in the frame, you need to kneel and try not to And it, you have to be close enough to the stream that you still have a good shot of yourself in the stream and the fish taking the fly so that's that's the main reason that i'm kneeling and getting close if i don't have the camera i'm staying back further away from the stream and casting into the water versus getting right up on the edge of the, the stream and, and casting um, but good observation yeah, I, I do kneel a lot. And and a big part of that is to try not to spook the fish. But if I'm not filming, I'm probably not going to get that close to the stream to begin with and stand
1: back a little bit. I've heard some people talk about using, uh, using the, the, the way the sun is, the position of the sun in the sky and stuff like that. I mean, do you pay attention to that sometimes as far as approaching hole and casting shadows and things like that?
2: yeah and a lot of this is going to depend on what the conditions of the stream are if uh the the best time to fish these little mountain streams are right after a rainstorm or when the water's a little higher um, the worst time is going to be like middle of june when the water's low and it's a bright sunny day um i i've done it and i have fished it and almost to the point where you could be standing back 10, 15 feet and a small size 18 dry fly lands on the water and the fish scatter. So the, the conditions are going to dictate how much caution you have to take with approaching the streams and fishing them. But yes, the sun, That's if the sun's low in the horizon, uh, try to avoid casting shadows. Um, if it's midday and, and the sun's higher up, Probably not as much of, of an issue, um, especially if you're not getting right onto the streams. But the fish can be very spooky, and especially wild trout and wild native fish. Um, now, stocked fish are a little different; they'll tolerate a little bit more, um, so that's that's less important in those scenarios. Um, but your native fish and, and your wild brown trout, you got to be really careful with.
1: Do you find yourself like doing a good mix of? stock stream fishing versus um you know native fishing and mountain streams stuff like that or do you gravitate more towards that 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 suffering aspect the challenge of uh, of those harder streams and those native fish
2: when i first started fishing i probably focused more on stock fish for a couple different reasons um they can be easier to catch and the other aspect of it is I, I don't think I had the same confidence in finding fish or knowing where to go to find fish. Um, so now probably 75 to 90% of the time I'm fishing either streams that have a uh, native or, or wild fish populations and focusing more on those, those streams. And the other aspect of it too, is a lot of times your, your bigger streams, like I'm not far from little pine or, uh, pine Creek, they're a lot harder to film in because you have to set your tripod up and you're setting it up in water. And then there's just a lot more work moving back and forth, moving the camera, where if you're in a small stream, um, a lot of times you're, you're walking in between holes and you're not setting your camera and tripod up in water. dealing with walking back and forth between casts and wading through the water to turn your camera on and off so that makes it a little easier to film on those small native streams too
1: that makes a lot of sense too and there's probably an aspect for you like i have to compare it to like almost like the evolution of a deer hunter i mean like you start out as a deer hunter and you're you just want to shoot a deer and then you finally accomplish that goal and then i want to harvest a buck And then you harvest the buck and, okay, I want to harvest a a nicer buck or, or whatever step above. And then like, you know, we talked earlier, we talking about shooting your first deer with a recurve. It's kind of like that evolution and a challenge. And that's kind of what I gather in the, the aspect of trout fishing.
2: Yeah. And one of the biggest draws to me on these small streams is if you're on a small mountain stream and you catch a big fish, Now a big fish might be a 10 inch brook trout or a 14 inch brown trout. Um, It's, it's so incredible and such a thrill to see one of these larger fish come up out of these holes and take your fly and then fight like crazy compared to catching a stock fish where you kind of know fish is going to be about this size. It's, it's put there by the state and I don't have anything against stocking or catching stock fish. It's just that excitement of the unknown when you're fishing in these areas and catching big fish that um, you almost, sometimes it's hard to believe that they can survive in these small streams
1: well there's no doubt about that it's pretty incredible some of the places that you and a lot of other people in the state will pull fish out of and you kind of hinted at like an adventure aspect of that so i kind of wanted to shift gears and uh talk a little bit i i believe it was last year i saw your uh i saw on your highlight reel you had your your kettle creek trip and Mm -hmm. i think that was last year when you went on that right yeah that was uh tell me a little bit about that
2: Yeah. So, um, I know you've had Clayton good on your podcast in the past. He's a really good guy, a similar friend of ours. Um, him and I have been doing these fishing trips for three or four years now, and we're trying to plan this year. He's buying a house, has a baby on the way, just like you. Um, so it might be harder to to find some time to do it, but we've been trying to plan an all day or overnight fishing trip somewhere. And we kind of brainstorm on where do we want to go? Where do we want to fish? And last year we went to the Kettle Creek area. We uh, camped out at Oley Bowl State Park, um, hit Kettle Creek. Our hope was to catch some wild fish and some native fish, uh, conditions were not great for that. Uh, it was one of those, um, situations where, um, it was 60 degrees on Friday and then it dropped to like 30 degrees overnight. Friday night into Saturday, stayed pretty cool, pretty cold throughout the day on Saturday, caught a few native fish, um, got into a load of stocked fish on lower Kettle Creek, low Ole Bull, and then, um, fished the next morning on some, some wild streams, some, uh, non-stocked waters. Um, but, but the whole, what I try to focus on when I make a video of that is I want to show the whole experience and kind of tell the whole story. So I like to get videos of, uh, us cooking steaks over the fire, um, hanging out around the fire, cooking breakfast around the fire, pouring coffee, all those things that kind of come with camping and, and enjoying the outdoors when you're fishing and
1: hanging out with friends. Yeah, there's no doubt. That's a that's a great part of it. Do you have uh, so you know Clayton's? Uh, I know struggling with with trying to get that. Are you uh, are you getting anywhere closer to maybe coming up with a plan for 2022 to do something similar? Or do you personally have any you know new sites that you're looking to? Maybe you don't want to disclose those locations yet, but I mean, do you have any new ideas or places you want to go and adventure this year?
2: Yeah. So one of the things I've been thinking about for a while and um, it's, it's a really great resource from the Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission where they have their trout maps and you can see uh, kind of a map of the whole state and most of the streams on there they'll have, whether it's class A, if it's a, a wild trout stream, if it's a stock stream or wilderness stream. So I'm gonna work on this year and um, pr- pretty sure I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do a wild trout wilderness series and it's going to be two or three videos and I'm going to hike into um, areas that are designated as wilderness fishing streams and set up camp and uh, film myself fishing these streams. Um, so that's what the plan is this year outside of whether or not Clayton are able to get out and fish together. Um, I'm going to be doing a series on wilderness trout fishing
1: in Pennsylvania. That sounds like a pretty cool gig. Um the uh, I would get so distracted being in those wilderness areas and just by the, the scenery, and uh, with my mind always racing about uh, mostly deer but deer and bear hunting in some of the areas that you get to go to. Um, when you go, if you ever go on some of those treks, do you find yourself taking a break from fishing and, and wandering somewhere, explore new territory?
2: Uh, I, I haven't. Necessarily done that, but my eyes—it's hard to turn off kind of the deer hunting eyes and, and the deer hunting thoughts. So I'm I'm uh, being aware and noticing scrape, old scrapes, uh, rubs. I found a couple sheds along these streams. Sometimes when I'm out in the middle of nowhere, and so that's pretty neat. But yeah, it is hard to kind of turn off that deer hunter in you when you're trout fishing, and I'm always looking at the deer sign and trying to figure out okay why is there a scrape here where are the deer coming from where are they heading to Um, and i did in fact uh, benefit from some intel in an area i was fishing a couple years ago i saw a good deer sign there and i was struggling this was in um, 2019 and i was hunting the big woods pennsylvania public ground really struggling on finding deer we had a really bad acorn crop that year and was trying to think outside the box, where can I go to kill a deer? And I had a thought of an area that I was fly fishing and saw some deer sign. And I went down that day to do some scouting and actually had a probably 110 inch deer um, buck walk up on me. Had I had my bow, I could have probably shot him. I'm 10 yards away from me. So I ended up setting up there the next morning then and, uh, killed a buck at about 11 o'clock in the afternoon cruising through the stream bottom. So that was one of the situations where I, uh, had the, the thought from fly fishing and sign that I saw, and then was able to capitalize on it in archery season and, and kill a buck in that same area.
1: That's a pretty cool story there. Yeah. And that's the, that's the kind of story that would excite me, you know, me not having, um, the, the fishing itch this time of year and hearing something like that, it makes me want to go out and, and spend a little time in the, in a mountain stream fishing and, and you know, take advantage of, or, or maybe get lucky and stumble upon something like that.
2: Yeah. Even just hiking these streams. I mean, I enjoy that. Even if you're not catching fish, just the beauty of, uh, the woods and the forest in Pennsylvania and these, these streams and the little plunge holes and waterfalls that they hold. Um, even that's something I do with my kids that as, as your children get older, just take them for a hike and go up a mile or two, some of these streams, even if you're not fishing and just explore and see the deer sign and take in what Pennsylvania has to offer.
1: You were talking about tying flies earlier. And I, I know that's like the the thing everybody does. That's a, if they're an avid fly fisherman in that February to going into March time is get all prepped and ready f- for that, um, do you want to talk a little bit about fly tying? Um, I I mean, that's a, that's a broad statement. I kind of wonder, like as you start fly fishing and you start to pick things up, do you find yourself gravitating more towards certain flies for certain things? Are you always, you know, keeping diversity and that kind of match the hatch ordeal? Like, you know, talk, you know, touch a little on that for, for some of your upcoming fly fishing plans.
2: So I, I started fly tying more so out of, um, wanting to be able to control how a fly looked and what flies I had. Um, and it's it's evolved into, so, so when you first start fly fishing, it takes a while to learn. Um, we, we refer to them as our confidence flies. So you have certain flies that if you don't know what's hatching or what's going on, you're always gonna go to certain flies. Um, for me, I have a couple mayfly type nymphs that I use um the common kind of confidence patterns are uh hare's ear nymph um pheasant tail and then a classic confidence fly is the uh adams dry fly that guys will use but tying flies kind of helps helps you learn more about what flies to use um how flies should should look and it adds a level of confidence it's also Um, another level of satisfaction that you are creating the fly that's tricking the fish that it's your work and and your creation. And I have done some creative things with certain flies that I've used and gone kind of colored outside the lines. And it's really neat to experiment and see a fly work that you kind of develop the pattern yourself. Um, but, but it definitely helps. I feel like it makes you a better fly fisher if you tie your own flies it can be frustrating because it is very time consuming. And if you lose a fly that you spent 15, 20 minutes, like your first cast tying, um, it can can add a different level of uh, frustration.
1: Um, can you think of a specific example? Maybe you talked about, you know, manipulating appearances is or there, is there anything that comes to your mind when you think about, you know, you were running maybe something you bought and you wanted to modify it a certain way because of this reason is, is something like that stick in your mind when it came to fly tying and evolving as a fly fisherman.
2: So meaning like a fly that I've altered and used.
1: Yeah, I guess I'm kind of thinking like, you know, how do you how have you come up with that method to your madness so to speak when you as you evolve and 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 manipulate the flies you use throughout the the spring so it some of the flies that i've i've done are
2: generally more basic flies that i've taken and um, maybe taken some steps out and made them simpler and easier to tie um, so a very popular fly in pennsylvania is the waltz worm so one of the things that I do is it's it's basically just hair's ear wrapped around a hook. there's there's not a lot of uh, thought or delicateness to the fly. And so I use extra hair's ear and then um, make it really buggy and kind of brush the, the fur and and the hair's ear out of the fly. Um, so that's one I've had a lot of success in, but it was taking a pattern and making it simpler. And altering it, and then seeing good success with
1: it. That makes sense. And as you can tell, we're starting to getting we're starting to get into a territory that I'm just pretty unfamiliar with. <laughs> so, so from that perspective, um, you know, as as you've grown into this mountain stream fly fishing, is there anything that stands out that like you you learned that really helped you be a better fly fisherman? so to speak whether it was specifically fly tying or you know just something that made that that mountain stream hard fly fishing maybe come a little bit easier to you that you know it wasn't uh, it was it was still enjoying to you I guess so speaking you know, I think about it from the perspective of how impatient I can get and you're <laughs> probably a more patient person than I am but um, I think you kind of you kind of understand what I mean there
2: yeah one of the biggest lessons which I touched on it briefly earlier is fishing when the conditions are right um, and not trying to force it when the conditions are wrong. And so if if I were to go out to my my favorite mountain stream right now, it would probably fish pretty poorly just because of water temperature. Um, I, I actually uh, my theory is that a lot of the fish are um, in the deeper holes or sometimes they even migrate downstream into the bigger branches or the bigger water to avoid freezing and for better food sources. So the the biggest lesson would be fishing when the conditions are right and learning when those conditions are right. And it varies from stream to stream and from season to season. Um, But a a lot of times I I work full time. So if I'm gonna fish, it has to be Saturday or Sunday. So you you can't necessarily bank on the conditions being right. And then from there, uh, the next biggest Uh, help has been learning to read the water and learning to know where fish like to lay and what type of water they like. And that's not only in the spring or the summer or the fall. It can change from day to day depending on what's hatching, um, what the fish are eating, and what the water flows are. Uh, But those are the two biggest ones that I can give for, for advice. Advice that makes you a better fly fisher is learning how to read the water and then knowing when the conditions are right to fish certain areas
1: that makes sense and i think anybody can relate to the time aspect of it cuz you know you know myself uh, i'm i'm no different in that that you know working full time family everything else it 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 can be hard to really decipher when that perfect time is and actually make it happen that you can can be in the in the woods or on the water you know, I, I found myself wrestling with that in deer season this year. You know, I, I have it in my head of these are the parameters I'm looking for in the conditions. And this is my system of how I'm monitoring cameras and trying to figure out a, a precision stand placement to go in and, you know, really be effective in that situation. And what I found is um, as as life continues to go on, it gets harder and harder to really be precise and, and be successful in the ways that I, I had once learned. So now there's a whole new dimension of learning how to do what I love in situations that I, I haven't been used to, or, or, maybe I, I, I didn't have this wild card, so to speak, handed to me. Um, and it's probably no different from getting out this time of year and, and spending some time fishing. Yeah.
2: And you know, as, as us working guys, it's, the first cold front of october is always going to happen on like a monday or tuesday or, or wednesday when we're we're sitting in the office and it's kind of like the same thing with fly fishing the best hatch is going to happen right in the middle of the week and you'll uh, i'll get the pictures from my retired buddies that they're hitting a certain stream with a great hatch and caught 30 fish and should have been there <laughs> so that that never fails
1: there's no doubt i mean i've, I've been told plenty of times that i'm i'm an old soul and i can relate to a lot of my my elders and so to speak whether they're semi-retired or retired they're always rubbing rubbing it in my face uh what's happening when i'm uh doing something work related yeah (laughs) oh man john in you know the midst of everything we talked about here is there is there any points about fly fishing in this upcoming uh upcoming spring that I'm just missing, or there, are there points you'd like to talk about the upcoming trout fishing season that maybe you'd like to share with somebody?
2: Yeah, I, I know Clayton had mentioned that you have not gotten into fly fishing. I, I would highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun. There is, um, a pretty steep learning curve and it's, it's something that takes a little bit more dedication to, especially if you want to be able to cast and, and fish. Um, dry flies on the surface, um, a little bit harder to learn. And I really struggled with casting, but the the biggest piece of advice that I can give somebody who wants to start or who started and maybe is not catching as much fish as they feel they should find a good mentor, somebody who's done it for a long time, someone who knows your local waters, um, whether that's uh, get in with a club or an organization like Trout Unlimited, make a couple friends. There's a lot of really good Facebook sites and, or just kind of ask on uh, one of the Facebook sites, if there's anybody in your area that wants to take you out. Um, one of my mentors who's helped me tremendously is Dave Rothrock. He's very well known in Pennsylvania. Him and I have done some videos together, um, but he has helped me learn uh, so much in fly fishing in such a short time that it's really elevated my skill level as an angler. And and I think that's the same way with hunting and anything outdoors. If you can find somebody who has the experience that you can ask questions to and kind of pick their brain and get advice from them, it's going to help you tremendously.
1: Yeah, I think that goes with a lot of aspects in life. Um, I know part of my biggest thing is, you know, I've I've always been so gung ho over you know deer and fishing, and it, it like the world just seemed to always revolve around that. But as time goes on, and I start to start to calm down a little bit older the little bit older i get you know i realize that there's so much more to appreciate than than just fishing and i i'm i'm sure at some point i'll i'll slow down enough to the point where i'll i'll want to go and try to experience the stuff that uh you know you've talked about and clayton has told me about for years and that experience of fly fishing and uh there's a lot of people that have said exactly what you just said. It's a it's a fantastic experience that it's just a learning curve. And I just haven't consumed enough of it to really get the full get the full picture and get the full experience and really appreciate it. But I mean I really thank you for sharing some of uh some of your experiences and some sharing some of your knowledge. Uh talking about what you're doing here in Suffering Outdoors. It's uh, this was this was great.
2: Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. I found your podcast a little while ago, and I actually didn't even know the connection that you were uh, Clayton's friend. So that was, that was kind of funny to learn that after the fact. So you're doing a good job on the podcast. Keep it up. And uh, I encourage people to stay tuned and subscribe and follow along.
1: It's a small world, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, onto that note with uh, staying connected and subscribing and stuff um, you know you've got suffering outdoors YouTube. Do you have any other social media or any other things that people can look you up and get in contact with you, John?
2: Yeah, I, I am on Instagram. I have a Facebook business site, but I don't do a lot with that yet. Um, but Instagram, I'm posting more pictures on a regular basis um, it's it's as a full-time, dad and uh, employee it's hard to do a lot of content on the youtube channel but i try to post at least once a month um so more active on instagram than youtube and then facebook would kind of probably come in third place
1: that was okay that sounds good so we'll make sure that we have uh, links to that and descriptions and everything else and uh this has been great, John. I would really love to have the opportunity to, to talk with you about the, something that I, I've kind of gathered is sounds like your true passion, which I know it's mine, and, and that's chasing whitetails.
2: Yeah, I love, uh, love chasing whitetails, and that's um, the constant kind of tear or pull between fly fishing and hunting. Um, but once archery season comes around, the fly rod goes in the closet, and I'm in the woods every opportunity I get.
1: Well, here soon, let's uh, let's start talking about some 2022 strategy and uh, maybe some some success stories or, or just some mountain buck hunting strategy, because there's just something about uh, the, the northern mountains of Pennsylvania that just is a draw for myself, and I know it is for you living up there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We'll have to try to get together
1: sometime, maybe do some jet hunting or something. That sounds like a great idea to me, John, so thank you so much for coming on. Yep, thank you, Mitchell. Have a good night. You too. Take care. Yep. Thanks.